Episode 8 of The Chatterbox. This is Suzanne with SuzanneDecree.com, and we have... Liz Tapia, the Dark Angel from DarkBeautyMusic.com. And this is the first episode where we have a special guest star. Ooh, how exciting. Yes, I'm special in more ways than one. This is Brian Ziegler, guitarist extraordinaire from Dark Beauty, and also from 4QMusic.com, number four letter Q Music.com. And this week, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects ever. Cheesecake. No, no, the other favorite subject, gear. (laughs) Gear. It's all about the gear, folks. And we have Brian to tell us what he uses for Dark Beauty. Well, as I'm looking around the studio, otherwise known as the spare bedroom, I see the gear that I use for Dark Beauty, as well as for a lot of other bands that I'm in and have been in in the past. And it's interesting, I've noticed the more bands I've played in and the older I've gotten, the smaller my gear footprint tends to get. 15 years ago, I was schlepping around a half stack to all of my shows, and now I've got a single 12-inch combo uh, that I take everywhere. But since the music that I play, both in Dark Beauty and the other progressive rock bands, tends to be pretty eclectic, I've consolidated to a Line 6 setup that I use for most of my shows. Uh, I use the Strat Copy Variax going into a Firehawk effects processor and a Spider Valve amp so that I can come as close as I can to replicating a lot of the different guitar sounds uh, that I've used on the albums. Now that's interesting because I know I too am a Line 6 buff. I have actually the uh, the Super Strat copy yeah. of the of the Variax, which I believe actually comes with one or two extra models on the guitar side. Which Super. I mean, you know, more is always better. More is better. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm actually I haven't gotten it yet, but my next purchase is going to be the Helix, which will actually be able to bypass the amp altogether and plug straight into the soundboard. So Yeah, that's one of the nice things about the Firehawk is I, I do like using an amp live. I haven't yet been convinced by the folks who like to go with headphone mixes on stage. I, I, for me, it kind of kills some of the excitement of, of playing live, not to have everything at a deafening level that only adds to my tinnitus. Um, but the Firehawk what? does let you do that. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What? What? Huh? I can't, I can't hear you over the squealing in my ears. Huh? Who? Liz, quit squealing in my ears. Hey, it's not me. I haven't even said a word yet. <laughs> yeah, Write this day down, ladies I'm and gentlemen. Hanging, look, I'm just hanging out here listening to all this. And here's what it sounds like in my ears. I use the blah, 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 blah. And then I use the blah, 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 blah. And that lets me get away with almost anything in terms of buying new gear. In fact, I, I try that out just for fun. I say, Liz, I need to spend $1,000. I need a new Fadadoo Schwang Doodle for my guitar. And hey, I have three works. of those. Here is, here is my favorite trick when I was growing up. I used to take the old guitar 
out of the old guitar case. Right. Hide it in my room. Go to the guitar store with the old case, buy a new guitar, stick it in the old case, and sneak it back into the house. Oh, that's clever. I know, right? And then when I needed to go get a new case, I would sneak an old guitar out to the car and bring it home in a new guitar case. <laughs> that is great. Hopefully I've given some musicians out there clever little ways to sneak those gear, those, those gear purchases past that certain someone. And hopefully those certain someones are not listening to this podcast. Who, who, me, who, who? <laughs> or just marry another musician and tell her that I need this purchase in order to make your recording sound better. Oh, well, if you're going to say it like that, then you just have to give it to them. You have Regardless to. of whether once, it's true. For once, Liz just gave Brian the credit card. <laughs> Let's not get crazy now. But yeah, I've been, I've been using Line 6 a long time, even back before their guitars were any good at all. I, I, I'm new to the very axes, but I, I used one of their very first combo amps. I had the uh, AX2212. Um, I want to say I, 15 years ago, maybe, when, when modeling was a fairly new thing. And even though the models weren't all that realistic at the time, even so, they helped you get more eclectic with your sound and to, to be able to dial in more different effects. And now that they become a lot more realistic, you know, there, there are some old timers who will tell you, and it's true that there's no way you're going to get quite the kick that you do with a full Marshall stack or quite the shimmer that you get with something like a jazz chorus. And that's true. But in the studio, you can bring in those amps to get the perfect sound. When you're playing live, unfortunately, most of us aren't like Steve Howe and can bring 20 guitars with us to every show. So for playing live, I think it's the perfect solution. And I think not only playing live, I know, you know, I know you guys kind of demo at home, too. I, I know I'm working through my demos for the upcoming album at home. And to be able to have an, four guitars hanging here that replicate just about everything right. that I would ever need to record, that's a, that's a big, big bonus, you know, to be able to have four pieces of gear that replicate an entire studio's worth of right. gear, I think is amazing. And I mean, I'm impressed. I actually took, um, I actually took my Variax down to my bassist, Aaron Griffith, Signal to Noise FM. Mm -hmm. um, and he, we were playing around with some of the patches on it. And we had it running through, uh, I believe, his tube amp. And when he was playing some of the acoustic sounds, he was like, you know, I, I, I'm expecting that reverb against my chest from when I'm playing this because the samples are really that good. But I like the fact that it's just so versatile. I can play whatever I want to play whenever I want to play it. Um, I have how many tunings that come on it? And I've reprogrammed a few tunings. I've actually turned my Variax into a bass. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went into the, the Workbench software and I've created about half a dozen six string basses that I can play. Yeah, the nice thing with the alternate tunings is that I play in a band with um, a, a guitar player who likes to set up guitar army type sounds where you have three and four different guitars kind of melding together to create uh, 
a fantastic sound, but when, as one guitarist, you're trying to pull some of these things off live, you can use some altered tunings to get you to be able to play riffs and chords that otherwise wouldn't be possible without another guitar. Like, what Sonic Youth used to do 20 years ago with having literally a different tuning on every song, you can do live now. I have a, there's one song where for just one lick, I retune the guitar so that the bottom three strings are D, E, A. And for that one lick, for 10 seconds, it makes a lick possible on one guitar that otherwise would have required two. And it just, it gives you a lot of flexibility. And the thing is, with using the modeling in the studio, it's fantastic to give you the sound of everything you're trying to create. And then if someone throws a hundred thousand bucks at you to make a full album and you want to rent a Dan Electro for the day, great. But you already know what it's going to sound like from having used the models in your earlier recording. And now for a brief pause while we hear a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Tim Jenkins from the Family Earplug Company. You know, with the holidays coming up, you don't need to protect your hearing so much as you need to protect your soul. (laughs) Whether it's discussions about politics that you just don't want to hear, being asked whether that girlfriend is finally going to become a wife, or just wanting to drown out that uncle who won't ever shut up, love of everything sacred and holy would you please shut your yappa the family earplug company can help just give us a recording of whoever it is you want to filter out at the holidays and we will provide a special earplug just for you that will allow you to eat your holiday meal in peace yes save your soul and save the family with the family earplug company Call us now. And now, back to our program. And the other thing that I was experimenting with with my uh, HD500X was I would output both sets of outputs from my Variax. I would output the magnetic pickups at standard tuning, and I would output the Variax pickups at a different tuning so I could actually harmonize with myself. And if I kicked on a harmonizer, I could actually do three-part or four-part harmony on my own because I could route those through different channels. Right. Dweeb question. What kind of strings do you use? I am a DR girl. Okay. I love DR strings. Um, You know, I started DR strings probably right after I left the art institute, uh, got got in with the wrong crowd. You know, was hanging out at the music store all the time, and uh, <laughs> that is the wrong crowd. If you ever want to have any that money, that is the wrong crowd. Out. No, I didn't. Um, you know, but I had uh, I was hanging out in the music store all the time, and uh, the guys there got me onto DR strings because they're all handmade. They're excellent strings. I think they sound great. Um, now, of course, DR has made uh, neon strings, which, I mean, I have to get them because they match my hair. So, 
I have guitar strings that match my hair, which is awesome. I have, uh, you know, and I use them for everything. I like the sound. I don't think the DR coating, I know a lot of people hate the coated DR strings, at least the colored coating, because the coating does flake off. It does kind of chip and paint, you know, get paint flakes on your guitar, but I still think they sound good. And DR coated strings have lasted me longer than any other string. I used to change strings every two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I'm that much of a string string nerd that I can't stand the sound of strings when they start to get old and they start to kind of lose their tune. DRs I can actually leave on for about two months, which is weird for me, you know? Did you ever buy into the whole boiling your strings thing? I have not. I never did it either. I I, I wonder if that was urban legend or if that actually did anything. You know, it's funny because I just watched a video on YouTube about it. Um, And the demonstration that the guy did on YouTube, basically there was no difference between boiling and not boiling. I I believe Um, But he says that he's done it before and he's noticed a bigger difference. So my question is, did he notice the bigger difference? Kind of like, you know, sometimes you just expect something to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, was it one of those things where you kind of set yourself up to be different? Because when he did it and he recorded it, there was no difference. So now I know a lot of musicians, um, I, I knew a couple of guys who did, and I knew a couple of guys who suggested that I do it, but I just, I just can't believe that boiling a string will bring it back to life or, you know, that string stretched out as well. So I can't believe that, that the intonation is going to be there after boiling. I just, I just can't, can't buy into that. So, Liz, what are your thoughts on equipment? What do you use to create these masterpieces? Whatever microphone somebody gives me. (laughs) I am not an equipment person, so this is a fun conversation to listen to. But as far as, like, naming gear, you know, I use whatever the studio has for me at the time. I honestly couldn't even tell you what microphone... I'm using at Artie's studio. He just got a new one. I just recorded um, our new song, Spirits of a Dead Earth. Nice plug. On, Thank you. Great job on the guitar. Oh, right. thank you. Are you, you ready to wrench yet, Suzanne? Um, I'm not. I'm not. I actually enjoy the song. I've heard the song. Um, it's actually a really good song. <laughs> I think he was talking about the two of us going back. I know. Oh, okay. I I prefer to go with the song. (laughs) The song is doing really, really well, and it's getting a ton of airplay. And yeah, you know, whatever Artie's using in the studio, like I said, it's a, I think he's using the, a blue brand mic. I, I don't know exactly the name of it, but Whatever microphone he's using, I'll have to find out because he says he loves my voice on this mic that I'm singing in now. So, Well, here, here's a good tip for the next time you're in the studio, Liz. Just look at him like you really know what you're talking about and say, can I try the ribbon mic? I think that's probably what he has. Because they're really expensive. If they have a good ribbon mic, you'll tell because they won't let you touch it. Okay, then that's probably not the one that I'm using, although he pretty much sets everything up. He's great. He sets everything up, and I usually never touch the microphone in the studio. 
so and I probably wouldn't want to touch the microphone and mess with it too much just because I don't know what I'm you know what I would end up doing to it that would mess him up on his side but um, yeah I mean I've seen the gear that you're carrying and lugging back and forth with your guitar your line six I know you're really excited about that and I I mean just from looking at it it is pretty cool to be able to watch what you're able to do just by you know shifting a couple of pedals or, or buttons and it just changes the sound which is quite amazing what that guitar does so is it the guitar is it the pedal is it part of is it both it's that does that that makes the switch it's all of the above the guitar has a lot of circuitry built into it that allows it to, to simplify allows it to imitate other guitars and the effects units and the amps have circuitry built into them that allow them to imitate other guitars and amps so then another thing which we haven't talked about is that you can download other people's patches from off of the internet now, they can range from complete and utter garbage to actually fairly useful. I, I sometimes use them as a starting point. If I want to replicate a certain guitar sound from another song, you know, I'll hop online and go, okay, who has made a decent Stevie Ray Vaughan patch or a decent David Gilmore patch? Um, and then I'll modify it for my own use if I can find something halfway useful. But that is another nice thing is that you don't necessarily have to start from scratch. It's in terms of building your own sounds. I, just, I have a question. When we're in the studio and you're recording guitars for Dark Beauty and Artie is taking those guitars and, and mixing or doing whatever he's got to do on his end, is he changing it with some kind of a plugin that he has on his end or is it what's going in from your guitar directly into his board? How does that it work? It depends on the recording session. What we did with a lot of the guitars for Fall From Grace, the first album, currently available at darkbeautymusic.com, was that I would plug directly into his board and he would record a clean, dry guitar sound, but feed back through the monitors something that made it sound like I would want it to sound. So if I was playing a, a rock solo, he'd feed back some distortion and delay and, and reverb into my headphones. But what he was actually recording was dry. And then what that would let him do is when he was doing the final mix down, say that guitar actually had a little bit too much delay on it and it wasn't working in the overall mix, he could change those effects as he was mixing down. And I have to say, this is a huge, huge plug, and, sh and also shout out to Artie Rodriguez, who is Dark Beauty's producer. He really is incredible at what he does, and it's really been great to work with him because he pulls <laughs> so much out of, I think, all of us, wouldn't you say, Brian? Absolutely. I think his style is so motivational. I'm not typically a rah-rah kind of guy. I just want to go in and record, but... What's fantastic about Artie is he gets so into what's going on that you want to play better to please him, to see him jump up and down and run around the studio and chant your name, uh, which he does. He's amazing. I mean, he, he's got the most incredible energy, and he it's it's really been great to work with him, and I'm just so happy that 
he's just such a huge part of this team and, and not only just for us but I mean everybody just loves him he's just really really great to work with in addition to making podcasts I've also been known to sing a song or two to get a free sample track visit darkbeautymusic.com and sign up for our mailing list your info will never be given out to anyone else and you'll get a free track and while you're there Check out the music page for more information on One Love Music for Relief, a benefit compilation for disaster relief that we are proud to be a part of. That's darkbeautymusic.com, and don't forget to sign up for the mailing list. You know, the, another thing I want to mention is that Suzanne and I are going to be doing some songs together. Dun, 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 dun. It'll be really, <laughs> yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how we end up creating a sound for the two of us especially since this really would be a situation where we're going to be sharing files online because actually we already have shared a couple we have and it's uh it's going to be great to hear how this develops and what's really cool is that it's going to be for this podcast so you guys are going to get to hear what software are you guys using to, to to record well, that's an interesting question. I am, I'm, I'm still kind of in my experimental phase. I am uh, just just grabbed Logic Ten, uh, but when I sat down to record my album, I wanted to limit my distractions. I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to get as much written as I could in as compact a space of time as mm-hmm. I could. So I actually passed on you know the big powerful DAWs and I went GarageBand and the lick the licks that I've sent Liz so far have been in GarageBand as well just because I'm kind of still in my limiting the distractions Mm -hmm. phase so GarageBand doesn't change time signatures doesn't change key signatures which are two things that as a former progressive rocker former classical guitarist former jazz guitarist and current metalhead uh, am highly guilty of (laughs) quite frequently so (laughs) going in GarageBand actually forces me to stay simple and then I can upload it into Logic and kind of expand and twist it from there you know I like working in GarageBand it's just easy it's very simple to use it's very user-friendly you know I, I mean for what I've done I you know just to record some vocals and some drops it it works great I mean I've never had any problem with it but now I I have uploaded and and got the um, uh, what is that? Logic Logic Pro ten Logic yes Pro 10? yes Logic is, Pro ten it's part of GarageBand so it has a very similar interface is that the right word I'm using interface it's got the yeah same, it's, like the it's same. got a similar it's got a very similar interface um, kind of like going iMovie to uh, Final Cut Pro for those of you who are on the on the video side of things. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've gotten used to GarageBand. Um, there are still some things that I wish it could do, like, you know, those licks that I have sitting around in 1716 time, I, I can't do anything with in GarageBand. Um, but, you know, most of the stuff that I do, I can. And I've actually, I've actually started a couple of songs just randomly in, like, Guitar Pro. So I would actually just randomly start banging some power chords into Guitar Pro, either with my uh, my uh, next piece of Gear Lust, the uh, 
Fender Strat with the built-in wireless MIDI system from Fish uh, from Fishman, uh, and you know, just kind of started working directly with the sheet music and almost doing it theoretically instead of you know, kind of playing. I would actually sit there and look at it and figure things out and move it around and stuff like that. Yeah, you can really do a lot with all of these programs, and it's it's great to be able to record from home and be able to just shoot some files back and forth to each other. And I, I, that's probably the way most people work today. I know, Brian, you're in, you're working with third degree, and I know they do a lot of shifting or, or sending, sending files is what I want to say. It's actually taken some getting used to for me because of the way third degree writes. Uh, I've generally done a lot of my writing in a band situation where four people, five people get together in a room and work for two hours on creating music. And the way they do it is pretty much the opposite of that. One person will bring in a demo, and point one, their demos created at home with a drum machine sound better than some albums I've heard. So there's a really, really high level of quality of the demo recordings coming in. But... The demos are often used as a starting point for the actual recording of the album, where the drummer will play to the demo, and then individual tracks are added on from there. And sometimes the entire demo is replaced, and sometimes it's not. But what it allows the band to do is to collaborate with the other guitarist who lives in California right now, and amongst each other, where if you've got half an hour, an hour to put into a song, that's fine. You don't need to get the entire band together to work on something new. I can work on my own part here on my own computer, email it to the band. They generally say, no, do better, uh, and then I do better. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's something we haven't really talked about much yet, is, is the absolute revolution in home recording. And I think, like a lot of things... The amount of good, the percentage of good music certainly hasn't gone up. I mean, a lot of subpar stuff comes out of home studios, but the the, the flexibility and the, the ability to let your muse speak at any time. You know, when I started, a lot of people might not know this, Suzanne and I actually went to school together in the early 90s. At that, we at did. that point, we were recording on two-inch tape, and that's what you did kitties and we were editing that two inch right. tape so we actually had to find like you actually had to roll the tape by hand to find your edit points cut it with a razor tape it back up and hope to god you cut the right and section it was a terrifying oh. process it really was that's gotta be uh, and you know digital recording was so just exhausting. in its infancy at that point i mean things were happening but certainly not at any school we could afford but, I mean, it hasn't been that long that you've been able to do this recording, and the budget difference is amazing. I actually remember my first digital recording setup, um, and it was a second-hand eight-channel mixer that somebody uh -huh. gave me. I had the drum machine going into something, I had my guitars going into my Digitech effects unit, a rack mount that I had at the time. I had the Digitech feeding out into 
in stereo into two of the channels in the in the A track, and I actually w- ran the eight the eight channel mixer uh, stereo pair into a Y jack into the audio <laughs> jack in the back of my computer. That was my first digital rig. I had wires all over my apartment in New York. My my roommate came in, tripped over the wires. Boy, did I catch holy hell for that one. It's funny. I still remember my setup, too. I had a Korg D8, which was uh, a mixer, basically a mixer and a hard drive, and some really, yep. really primitive effects. Uh, I had an Alesis. Was it a D4? What was the drum machine that everyone had? Like that... The early rack mount drum machine, I think it was a D4. I, 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 I remember the four part. Yeah. I don't remember what letter, but it wasn't, yeah, it was an Elisa something for D4. Uh, and a Roland, a Roland GP8 uh, effects unit that, you know, at that point, that was one of the early multi effects units, and they certainly weren't designed to run straight into a recording unit, but I did it anyway. <laughs> Right, and it, because at the time there were no impulse responses, there there wasn't the cab simulation. No, no, no. These things were designed to be plugged into an amp, so there was some basic amp simulation, not a ton, and it wasn't really good. And you're and being kind. Was, it was really bad. <laughs> I'm I'm being kind. I am. It 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 was wretched. <laughs> it was horrible. Because I remember I was running my Digitech like straight into my recordings going, wow, this sounds like crap. I don't understand why it sounds like crap. Because at the time, we didn't really understand the impulse responses that you needed to make it. Because the cabinets actually sweetened the sound quite a bit. You know, the cabinets have a lot to do with the sound and how that sound comes out. I mean we used to run through guitar center back in the day and we used to, you know, mix and match cabs and, and heads and see what we could come up with. Um, the cabinet has a lot to do with the the final sound, uh, because of the way it's constructed, because of the speakers used, because of the, the breathing room that the speaker has to move back and forth, whether or not there are, uh, bass reflex holes in there and open backs and all that kind of stuff. So the cabinet adds a lot of that, final sweetness to a sound and that didn't exist back then so if you were going directly from your digitech or whatever right. else into uh, i still had a marantz four track at the time and it was like the yeah right how long has it been since you heard about four tracks um i had a i had a task cam that put all four tracks on yep. a cassette this was it this was one of the marantz everything yep. went on a cassette and um you know, for those of you who think GarageBand is a little bit limiting, try and try and do a progressive rock album, which I did, on a four track. Cause you actually have to you have to like record three tracks worth of stuff, try and bounce that to the fourth track, re-record more stuff on two tracks, bounce that to the third track, and then you've only got two tracks left to work with. Now Wait, how many four. tracks? You had four. You kept having to take, you know, whatever oh. you recorded and and mix those together onto like a the final track. But every time you do that, you right. lose a track. So you start out with like three tracks that bounce to the fourth, then you have two tracks that bounce to the third, and then you can't really bounce anything else because you have two single tracks. Um I, although I got around that by bouncing one track with a live input. 
Now, for those of you who have heard Liz sing, which I'm assuming probably most of you at this point, we're still early in the podcast, um, I sound nothing like Liz. And, um, you know, at the time, I didn't even really take into consideration things like pitch, breath control, or um, <laughs> rhythm while, while singing. Uh, ironically, you know, my guitar playing was spot on, baby, but my vocals were... Um, if you can imagine Deborah Harry singing drunk, that's probably about what I sounded like. So, <laughs> so not only did I have lousy singing at the time, I had lousy singing that was permanently mixed into the mix that I couldn't do anything with. Hi, this is Suzanne from SuzanneDecree.com. I want to help you become a better guitarist. Stop by my Facebook page, Suzanne Decree One, or hit me up on Twitter at Suzanne Decree and let me know what you're struggling with. I'll give you a free 30 minute lesson. One per customer, please. And what's fantastic now is that we have Liz to sing for us. For yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, speaking of pornography, I used to subscribe to Mix Magazine when I was a little more serious about I audio. I thought we agreed never to talk about this in front of Liz. <laughs> Those were the days. Yes, I would, on a Friday night, sit all alone and look at the new 24-track mixing boards. <laughs> but when you think about, you know, what you would have had to have spent 30 years ago to make a recording studio where you could do a passable semi-professional recording... You could do it for 50 grand if you cut a lot of corners. And now you can do that for... With microphones included and the computer, starting from scratch, I bet I could set you up for 5,000. You know, I and might you even go... professionally. I think I would go less than that because I'm actually... Uh, my Sonicport VX, the one that's sitting right in front of me here, uh, has a stereo microphone built into it, and it's a USB interface. So I can plug right. my guitar in, and I have the microphones. It's not a terrible microphone. Um, you know, so if, if you've already got the instruments, it's the cost of a computer. And, uh, you know, of course, we're all Mac here, so probably about two grand on the computer and probably about 300 for the for the mic slash input if you wanted to go that way. Yeah, the only difficulty I'm thinking of is recording drums live kind of requires a little more in the... Uh, a little more of the microphone area. I, I haven't gone to, to drum machine yet. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually, at least for my demos, I've been using Drummer in GarageBand and Logic. Mm -hmm. um, and it's done a passable job. Now, I will preface that with there is a lot of manipulation. Uh, sure. I don't just, you know, string Drummer out all the all all across the song and let it do its thing. There's a lot of cutting and pasting. There's a lot of, I uh, like this beat here. I like that beat there. Um, there have been a couple of times where I'd stick in an, a, a MIDI drum track and double the drums so I could get kind of that crazy octopus just fell down the stairs with a drum kit sound <laughs> that I like, you know. <laughs> I like the way you describe that. But there are... for. For quick and dirty on the demos, those those drums are not terrible. You know, it is amazing what can be done electronically with programmed drums now, but I think the flip side of that, Liz, if you could talk a little bit of the world's largest drum kit that Dark Beauty created for Mirage. 
that was the most incredible day when we went into the studio and I have to give it to Dan Garanda who is our drummer slash percussionist he absolutely gets angry if I don't add percussionist but he really is an incredible drummer and I think he brought every single drum with him that was available to any drummer (laughs) into the room with him the entire room was filled with drums and I don't mean just his drum kit. It was like drum kit plus big, I don't even know what kind of drums. I don't kettle know the drums? names of the drums that he had. But there was a huge <laughs> kettle Did drums. Timpani. Um, no. he, he had everything. Everything you could possibly. Okay. Every sound that GarageBand probably has as far as drums. Dan had a drum that would have replicated that. And then some. I mean, he had everything available for that track and I think what was really funny was that when we got done recording Mirage it had something like I think it was 52 drum tracks which is insane when you're trying to edit and put this together now can you imagine doing something like that on the days where people were recording on tape I mean it would have just been insane but Thank goodness for Logic Pro or whatever they were. I think that's what they were using in the studio. Uh, Brian, do you remember if it was I Logic? don't remember what they, they were, were recorded on, but one of the things that, that he attempted to do, there are a lot of places where there isn't a traditional drum set on the track, but it sounds like there is because I'm, I don't know that I'm using the correct drums, but, you know, instead of a rack tom, he would use uh, a kettle drum. And instead of the floor tom, he might use a timpani. And he recorded the tracks one by one, playing where that rack tom would have been on a bigger drum and playing where the floor tom would have been on a bigger drum so that each individual track sounds bizarre. But when you pull them all together, it's the world's largest drum kit. It was really an amazing experience and... Suzanne, we are going to have to have Dan invite him onto a podcast in the future to talk about, specifically talk about how he set up for a Mirage and all of the drums that he brought in because I, I couldn't possibly name them. There's so many. And I have to say that Artie did an amazing job with just m- helping to mic all of that and put it all together. And it, it was truly spectacular to watch. And the entire studio everywhere I looked was packed with drums. I have so many photographs of that too. I'll be posting some photos when we talk about this in the future with him as well. And yeah, I I would love to have him on to talk about that. Cool. Okay, favorite (laughs) studio snack, go. She's like, all right. Favorite studio snack, pizza. I was gonna say pizza too. But then the problem is it gets, you get grease on your fingers and it's hard to play. That's why the bassist has a shirt. Our basis usually doesn't. <laughs> Good luck with that. Fortunately, my bassist wears a shirt. Are you your own bassist? I am not. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I, I didn't know which direction <laughs> we were going there. I know which one I was hoping, and I'll, I'll never tell. So, wrapping up this episode of Chatterbox, this is Suzanne from SuzanneDecree.com. 
And I'm Liz Tapia, the Dark Angel from darkbeautymusic.com, and we want to thank our Especially special guest. Especially always the one, Brian Ziegler from 4qmusic.com, number four letter Q, music.com, to learn about Dark Beauty, Third Degree, Progressive Dementia, and whatever other bands I feel like joining before you check it out. So we are signing off. Hope to see you in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Chatterbox Rocks. We will see you there. See ya. Bye-bye. Chatterbox.